1: Hello, morning, afternoon, evening, however you're listening. Thank you for being there. This is Writer's Routine. This week, we're joined by Lucy Clark. Her brand new novel, the sixth book, is out now. It's called The Castaways. Uh, And in this episode, in the next hour or so, we'll hear all about how, where, when, and why it was written. Also, we talk about the way that she travels the world, exploring all over the place, under the excuse, the very good excuse... Uh, of research as well I mean you you might be a bit envious with this one I reckon Uh, she's got a really busy day Lucy she shares childcare duties with her husband which means she has to squeeze all her writing work into quite a tight busy morning Uh, so how does that focus affect her work
2: I love the pressure of it because when I before I had kids I did have the luxury of having a whole day and I would say my output now is no different to when I had an entire day because it just leaves so much room for just going a bit slower and procrastinating and all those other things that we fill our time with. Whereas now with just six hours, it's like, bang, you're on, you have to go. And yeah, so it just cuts out a lot of faffing. That's all I lose is faffing time.
1: There is more on the way with Lucy Clark in this week's writer's routine. Welcome along. This is Writers' Routine. It's the show where we take a look inside an author's working day. Uh, it, it's much better than, than that. Than that gives it credit for, I think. Uh, we uncover all the secrets of how they take ideas from their head uh, and how they get it down onto paper and how, fingers crossed, they get it published. Uh, my name's Dan Simpson. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for following us wherever you listen to your podcasts. For the whole of March, we are supported by the fantastic people at Faber Academy. It's a creative writing school. It's set up by the publishing house Faber and they offer so many different courses to improve your writing at whatever stage you're at uh, and with whatever time that you can spare. Um, fiction, memoir, poetry courses for all levels across many different timeframes to suit your day, whatever you've got going on. They've got a course perfect for you that you can fit in to however hectic you are. Uh, if you're just getting started, writing at night after the day job. If you can't spare much time, you can do a one day beginners workshop. If you're a little bit further down the line, they've got six month advanced courses as well and everything in between. Uh, And at the moment, they're all online as well. So you can work it around whatever you're doing. Now, I've had a thorough route through the website, faberacademy.co.uk. And one of the most useful things on there that I think would really help the way that you work uh, is a manuscript assessment. It helps out at whatever stage you're at. Uh, You can have an honest, no-nonsense assessment of your work in progress, whether it has any potential at all, whether you should carry on with it. They will be brutally honest uh, with that side of things that maybe other people you rely on can't tell you about. Uh, You can also get a full comprehensive run-through of everything about your novel. They will really comb through it, I guess a bit like an MOT. You can get that done. Uh, You can also have a submission review. Really helpful, this one, to make sure it's in the best possible shape to share with an agent. They will go through it with you right before you're about to send it off and make sure you're in a perfect position. And you can save money with this show. Use the code WritersRoutine21. You'll get a ten percent discount on any online course or manuscript assessment. Use it at the checkout over at FaberAcademy.co.uk. WritersRoutine2121. Uh, you'll get ten percent off, and it runs right the way through till September as well. So they're sponsoring us through March, but you've got a few more months to to comb through the website, look through it thoroughly. Check out all the different courses that they're offering and see which one is best for you. You can take advantage of this code right the way through till September to save yourself 10% off any online course uh, or manuscript assessment. It's Writer's Routine 21 over at faberacademy.co.uk. Now, this week's guest on the show is Lucy Clark, a thriller writer. She's just published her sixth book, The Castaways. Her debut, uh, The Sea Sisters, was a Richard and Judy bestseller. Uh, and the new one, The Castaways, I mean, listen up. It's got an almighty strong hook. It's all about two sisters on holiday. Uh, and then right before they're about to leave, uh, at the airport, they have a huge Barney. And one gets on the plane, one doesn't. And then the plane crashes. Dot, dot, dot. What happens next? Da, da, da. We talk about the idea for the story, how she developed it and researched it. Also, you can hear about her two writing rooms. One of them is a quiet oasis by the beach. We talk about how that helps her detach from the world and immerse herself in her story. You can also hear why she's quite fa- not fa- particular, I want to say, about what she uses to write and also why she's fading the mood boards out. Uh, It's on the way. First, we start every episode exactly the same. Let's get a sense of the surroundings and ask what does Lucy Clark see around her in the place where she sits down to write?
2: I've got two spaces where I write, but the one that I'm in right now is at home. Um, I've just got a simple wooden desk uh, on the sort of um, windowsill above my desk that faces the garden. I've got at the moment... um, Uh, some jugs with rosemary and thyme in and a cactus um, because I'm writing a book at the moment set in Greece. So I'm trying to bring in a few um, touches of Greece and I have an Aegean candle and some shells. My actual desk is completely clear apart from a manuscript um, like the draft I'm working on at the moment. So I have, I like a clear desk. I'm not a cluttered um, writer and then the rest of the room I've got two book bookshelves I have a big bamboo plant um I've got a box in the corner of my new book um the castaways which just arrived two days ago so that hasn't been put away yet um and I have on the wall um I've got three mood boards uh for different books and on them are sort of photos and maps and some quotes um that I love sometimes they're quotes from other people and some are uh, like quotes things I want to remember um about like my own process so one is I'm just reading now it says write the type of book I want to read and that's something that I wrote like before I was even published, years ago. Um, so I keep that up there as just a little reminder to check in. Uh, so that's about the size of my writing room that I have at home. And I'm often here sort of, wow, well, I split my time. So the other writing room that I have is a little bit uh, unusual. We live <laughs> we live on the south coast um, near to Bournemouth. And I have a family beach hut where I do... Sort of most of my writing and it's about a 15 minute cycle to get there and there's no cars that are allowed there so the only way to get there is on foot or by boat or there's like a trail that you can cycle on and that's definitely my favourite place to write. Um, there's no internet, there's no power, it's really basic, it's just you know a hut on the beach, I've got a hob so I can do tea. Um, I write there all year round, um, summer is obviously Definitely preferable because of the weather and it's warmer. There's no heating in the beach hut, so if I write there in winter, it definitely involves a hot water bottle, blanket. Um, but there's something gorgeous about it in winter because there's no one around and you just have a empty horizon, empty beach. Um, so yes, yeah, so I split my time probably equally between the desk at home and the the sort of beach hut.
1: With the beach hurt, it, I mean, uh, I am, and I know many people listening to this will be l- like ridiculously envious of the fact that-, that you've got this, you've got this place to go. I don't know if it's too abstract a question, but it, when you're sitting there, can you kind of feel yourself detaching from the world? So it's just you, it's just you and your story. Can you, like, does it feel different writing there than it does in your writing room where you are right now?
2: It feels really different at the beach hut and I love it for, for many different reasons. Um one is because I love like the simplicity of it. There's no I really associate it with just the creative part of the job, not the, the work part. So I would never go down to the beach hut and do any publicity or write an article for a magazine or a newspaper. It's just writing. And most of the time, I don't take my laptop. I often work by um, hand when I'm writing first drafts. Not always, but certainly historically, I've done most of my first drafts by hand and all the planning stages by hand. Um, so I just I love the sort of, I don't know, that connectivity between you cycle down. I'm not the beach. Hut. I pull up the blinds and all you see is just the water and Yeah, I take out a notebook and a pen and I begin and it just feels, yeah, it does feel like a very different space to when I come into my writing room um, at home in my office. It's, you know, I do associate that more with the functionality of writing and it's a place where, you know, you've got the internet and my phone and the kind of work aspect so it depends what part of the creative process I'm in but Beach Hut definitely hands down has my heart for the best space to write in uh,
1: what what decides where you're going to write of a day is it you kind of wake up in the morning and just see what you fancy
2: it's a really good question it depends on lots of things firstly on like how busy I am and what what it is I'm doing so if I've got if I'm I tend to use the beach hut more when I have a, like a slightly more space in my writing. I'm not on a really tight deadline. And, and also earlier on in, in the process of writing a book, like when I'm in that more kind of creative free flow um vibe of a book whereas when i'm like up against deadline it's just i can't even afford the 15 minute cycle down there i'm like it's all about desk so yeah and and also the other factor of course is the weather if it's howling with wind and pouring with rain even though it's cozy once you're in the beach hut you know you get soaked on the cycle down so yeah so then desk desk wins on those days
1: uh, talk me through your mood board you, you you've teased us with that already but at what point do you make this mood board is it right before you've written any words is it when you're doing a little bit of research of you're, you're getting the sights and the scenes of the place where you're setting your story uh, just just talk us through how you start that
2: so I have a mood board for each novel and it's all part of the procrastination stage before I actually uh, feel kind of bold enough to start writing so I might pull out, I'm quite a visual writer, so I might pull out um, images that kind of talk to me about the book that I'm writing. And certainly looking at the mood board now, I've got one um, up there for my second novel, which was set in Tasmania. So looking at that board, I've got maps of Tasmania. I've got photos from a trip that we did there. I've printed out some um, art from uh, just like a picture of a sort of I don't know, like a driftwood teepee on a beach. Um, yeah, so just things I suppose that like create the the mood of the book in my mind. But what I do find is it's and I haven't got a mood board for my current book, um, and I I don't know. I think it's something I might be phasing out. I really love the concept of it, and they look lovely on my on my office wall, but now and I don't even like saying this but Google Images is so handy um, that I've ended up pulling for my new book like lots of images into just a sort of words document um, where I've like copied and pasted images across and so that's only on my computer and it's not a sensory and I feel like I'm sort of cutting a bit of a corner to be honest doing that because I do love the feel of it being surrounding me in my room so I think it's something I need to Get back to rather than sort of cut out.
1: Uh, it's, it's interesting that you've kept mood boards from books that you've already published. Why have you got three up?
2: Just because I really like having them there. I like the sort of um, just the feeling that they give when I walk into the room. I I like it to feel like a creative space, and I think they just lend that flavour to it. And also, when you finish each book, um, it's a strange thing because you put so much of your life into that novel for a year or two years, and you never quite, I never feel quite ready to close it down. So it just feels quite nice. And it, they're not sort of actual writings and bits of paper, particularly. It's just images. So it just feels quite a nice, yeah, um, aesthetic for, for me to work within.
1: Now, although th- you're here to talk about uh, the new book, The Castaways, and we're going to run through the day in just a sec. You, you've touched on something which has interested me. So you set a novel in Tasmania. This was your, your second book. Um What's the connection with Tasmania? I only ask because, uh, you know, a lot of writers say, write what you know. And this is your second novel. And I mean, it, uh, if Stephen King writes a book outside of New England, you're wondering what's wrong with him. So, like, what's going on with you You setting a book down in Tasmania? W- where did that come from?
2: So all of my novels, apart from one, are set, well, actually two, are set abroad and... My husband and I um we do a lot of travelling. So we've been together since we were teenagers and we've spent every winter um travelling. So he's a he's self employed and also a professional windsurfer. So in our winters here <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> That's, we're
1: ha- That's amazing. Sorry.
2: No, no, you're good. Well he um so because he would train to for windsurfing. We tend to go and travel in places where it's windy, where there's swell, um, and obviously, with being a writer, I can kind of work anywhere. So we would, for the last of ten, the ten years prior to us having kids, we would spend our winters um, traveling. So we spent a winter, we spent two winters actually in Tasmania, um, in the Philippines, in Hawaii, in Australia, like mainland Australia, um, New Zealand. So we've done. A, a lot of travelling, so the books that I write tend to kind of encompass those locations that we've been to. So that's why, yes, my second book, A Single Breath, is set in a um, shack on an island based on Bruni Island um, in Tasmania. Uh,
1: again, I know you're not here to talk about this, and we will get to this part a bit later on. But are, are, you, are you kind of reverse engineering it, or so are you are you go to these places and, and then and then you come home? And you think, oh, what would be good to sit on Tasmania? Or while you're there, are you kind of getting the first embers of an idea as you're as you are in the Philippines, as you are in Tasmania?
2: It's a really good question and it's a little bit of both. So um originally we did quite a bit of travel traveling before I began writing or before I was published. So I would just be traveling and I would always write um, keep travel journals wherever we went. And this was before us, you know, deciding to write professionally um, is just a kind of a thing I enjoy doing. And so then when I began to realise actually what I would love to be doing now is being a professional, you know, a published author. That's what I want to try and do. And it took me several years to make that a reality. Um, but then I had all the notes in my travel journals to go back to. So I would look at places I'd been and set the novels in those places because it was somewhere I had kind of access to in my memory and through my research um but now that I am sort of plotting a novel before you know necess- like I might think of a hook to a novel I will then be thinking right now where do I want to set it do I want it to be somewhere that we've already been or do I want it to be somewhere where I really would love to go and um my third book the blue is set it's about um a group of people on a yacht and they're almost like. I spoke like a commune on a yacht and they're sailing around the Philippines and um it's a mystery one of them disappears from the yacht and it's a question of you know what happened to him did he go overboard is there a murder on board um and that novel so when I started it I just had the idea that I wanted it to be set on a yacht but I ne- had never sailed and I hadn't been to the Philippines um so that was definitely one of those cases of thinking right what am I interested in what do I want to learn about where do I want to travel so I sort of gave myself a really good research job there and so we then had to head off to the Philippines and we spent a month um traveling there and uh and it was so much fun because I before I went I did a lot of research from my desk so I followed lots of blogs about people who um were sailing as their, their lifestyle so they are just sailors they live on live aboard on these boats um, and i got in touch with a woman and husband um, who was sailing their australian couple but they were sailing in the philippines for the last year and she wrote this fantastic blog and um anyway i was emailing her before the trip to the philippines and said you know i'd love to come and interview you when we arrive so we had our sort of it was our first night in the philippines and we met this Australian couple in, um, in a bar in Palawan, and uh, we were having a drink. And she said to me, um, we were like half an hour into the to the interview, and she just said, you know what, the best way to experience what it's like sailing in the Philippines is to just do it. So would you like to come aboard and sail with us? So my husband and I like looking at each other, sort of trying to be really subtle, doing the eye contact, like, do we trust them? Are we going to get on their boat? They're like, Crazy murderers, we know nothing about these people. Um, And we decided that they seemed very lovely and very genuine. So we went aboard literally that night on they had a little tender. We jumped on their tender and went aboard um, their yacht and then spent the next five days sailing with them around the Philippines. And um, we slept up on deck. They didn't have any cabins, so we slept on deck um, beneath a you know mosquito net. And it was just amazing. It was one of those experiences that completely brought the book to life for me. Um, and that was, and I, you know, took my travel journal of course and wrote all about it during the process. And then came home, and I have, I produce. Um, whenever I travel, I have a journal, but also I do like a photo book, which is, you know, just a place to put all your your photos. I, kind of print digitally so I have those two resources and that's sort of the tools that I have then when I'm home and writing and trying to remember those kind of details of how the air smells or where the light falls or those tiny things that you need to go there to in for me as a writer I need to go to those places physically in order to write about them so I have two children I've got a four and six year old um and my sort of my day is split between writing and mumming um I, co- I co-parent with my husband so we sort of decided before we had kids how we'd you know hope to split our how to, how to kind of make it work and split our time um, because we both love our jobs and we both also wanted to be hands-on with our family so I have the morning slot of working so I work until 12 30 um and then at twelve thirty we sort of hand over and i back to being mum. So because I only have until 12.30 each day to write, um, I get up at six and I sort of really wanna maximize my, my time. So a typical morning for me is I wake up at six, everyone's still asleep, everyone you know wakes up at sort of half seven, eight. Um, so I have to be really quiet because I don't wanna wake the kids. Um, so I normally just creep downstairs, make a drink, go outside, even in the rain and the dark in winter um, and just, yeah, have a little hot drink on the deck. And um, then, yeah, just after that, pretty much get straight to my desk. I'm normally at my desk by like 6.15 and start writing. And this is a day if I'm working from, from home, from like my office at home, If I'm working at the beach hut, it's so much nicer. I'll get my bike out of the shed, pack my rucksack, um, put some nice snacks in it, bread and things to have toast when I'm down there. And then I'd cycle off to the beach hut and and work there. Um, But yeah, so if I'm at home like I am today, I'm pretty much just, writing at my desk the whole time I definitely take a lot of snack breaks that's quite a big part of my um (laughs) of my day so I've just had a little hot chocolate um I have two breakfasts because again it's all about the snacks so I have a kind of like half seven breakfast normally when the kids are waking up so that I can just say hi to them and then a kind of second breakfast around half nine which is more like tea and toast at that point um, and then maybe a little hot chocolate. and then and then, before you know, it, it's twelve thirty, and i'm I'm done. And I in that time, I definitely try and write with the internet off. Um, I have one of those minds that is very easily distracted, so I have to impose a lot of rules <laughs> on myself to kind of like keep myself focused. So I will unplug even at home, I'll unplug from the internet. I will typically have my phone out of the room and off. Um, I, yeah, will try and only use social media once a day, which, you know, is easy to fall into bad habits and I end up using it more. Um, So those are kind of the things that I do to try and safeguard my writing time. And also so that I don't, you know, use the internet. There's, you just get in the habit when you're, particularly if you're having to have the internet on for research to sort of, you you know, you find yourself down a Google black hole and somehow you're, 10 pages in without realizing so I will note down all the things that I want to google and maybe just do that right at the end of the day so I don't get so I don't trick myself into thinking I need to google something when in fact of course I don't I've just got a wandering mind so yeah at, at sort of 12-ish so I hand over at half 12 at 12-ish I'll maybe check in with emails and just see if there's anything kind of business end that I need to deal with before I'm with the kids again at, at you know, lunchtime. And then in the afternoons, I am full full mum. Um, I don't do anything to do with work at that point. I sort of try very occasionally, if I know I've got something coming up, I might need to check in with an email or whatever. But mostly, I'll try and have my um, emails off and my phone on silent, because it's really easy, you know, and we all do this, but it's easy to be sort of with your children, but your head be somewhere else. So I just try and Minimize that where I can um and then in the evenings I sometimes depending on what stage of a book I'm at sometimes I might do a couple of extra hours writing on a couple you know maybe like three nights a week but again it's I'm not an evening writer at all, so I would more likely do any businessy bits that need attending to in the evening so the moment I'm building up for publication of the castaway so I've got like Last night I was writing an article for The Guardian and I have a short story I need to write for Hello Magazine <clears throat> Excuse me, this week. So I will try and do that in the evening so I can kind of keep safeguarding my mornings just for writing. So that's a little bit about
1: my routine. I I love it. I love every part of that. And it also clears up the mystery. I, I really love when I get an email usually from a publisher or a PR person, like the person who set us up uh, and we were talking about what time we could chat and it was uh, Lucy cannot do after half twelve, <laughs> and I was, oh, okay, sure. what's going on there? So I, I always really enjoy, like, like finding these things. Like having the uh, having the hard out. Having you know twelve thirty, you are done working for the day. What pressure does that put onto those first six odd hours of, of your morning? Like, uh, if you've not got the luxury of some writers where you can you know take take the whole day you can go, come and go uh, to your your, your your draft as you please what pressure does it put on you that you need to get to it in that six hours
2: I love the pressure of it because when I before I had kids I did have the luxury of having a whole day and I would say my output now is no different to when I had an entire day because it just leaves so much room for just going a bit slower and procrastinating and all those other things that we fill our time with. Whereas now with just six hours, it's like, bang, you've you're on, you have to go. And yeah, so it just cuts out a lot of faffing. That's all I lose is faffing time. And, you know, when my children, one is or would be at school if we weren't in a pandemic, um, but the other is in preschool, but when they are both one day, at school, at the same time, I will have slightly longer hours. Um, And I'm not particularly sort of looking forward to that. And, you know, in some respects, it's nice, but all you end up doing is filling your time with more work. And I don't know, I think there's something really nice about having a bit more of a balance of being, particularly when you're in a creative role. um, A lot of the work that you do happens off the page and the things that you're doing, the experiences that you're having. And if you're just solely slogging out 12-hour days at your desk. I don't know what living you're doing to be able to write about. Um, that's, you know, how I see it as well.
1: At the start of your day, when you first get down to it at half six or so, uh, if you need to immediately get down to it, how do you know what you're doing that day? Is there some grand plan where, you know, this is what you're doing this day, this is what you're doing the next day?
2: I don't tend to plan too much like that. I suppose I'll just know where where I leave it the day before, I will sort of finish whatever I'm writing and I might just have like, I have a to-do list um, just in a Word document for each book that I'm working on. It's called Edit Notes and at the top of it is just like the sort of, you know, Monday, maybe two bullet points of what chapters I might be working on that week. And then at the end of that day, I'll write my bullet points for the next day of what I'll be working on. And I don't plan too far ahead because I know from experience that what I think I may achieve is probably a lot less than what I actually do achieve. So if I write too many notes, you're always kind of failing your own to-do list, which is never a good feeling. So I just see how, you know, the the day pans out.
1: What um what makes a good writing day for you, Lucy? When you finish up, when you do the handover at twelve thirty, what are you pleased with getting done? Is there is there a word count? Is there a chapter uh, aim?
2: There isn't a word count. Um, I would say it's about presence. So if I end my writing morning, I always say we, you know, my husband and I meet in the kitchen. We normally just check in. You know, how the kids doing? How's your morning been? and he'll always say, you know, how's your writing been? And if it's a good day, it will be because I've been really focused and present with what I'm working on, and I will feel that whether I wrote a short amount or a really long, lengthy chapter or two, um, it's just about how focused I was in that time, and I think it just comes across on the page. I have patches where I can be really focused and the output's amazing and you feel really good and you end the week on a Friday feeling like, yes, I have had a good week. And you feel that Friday feeling that I used to get when I, prior to being a writer, you know, when you end the week in a, in a normal job and you're like, yeah, done, all about the weekend. Um, but then I have plenty of other weeks in the year where for whatever reason that I can't necessarily explain to myself or others but I'm just not focused and the story hasn't flowed and you get to Friday and you just feel like, Oh, I don't really deserve a weekend. Like I've just not got done what I want. And I can try and be analytical about it and I can turn off the internet and keep my phone on silent and, you know, stay at my desk for those six hours and try and focus, but just sometimes it comes and sometimes it doesn't. And I guess it's being a bit kind to yourself in those patches where it doesn't always come.
1: Now, even though this isn't really important to you as a writer, I'm just conscious that quite a few people listening might be working parents themselves. Uh, having this you know, fairly strict two-person tag teaming the way you're working it, how do um, how do you think the kids find that? Like, I'm, I'm just curious for myself, really. You know, this is mum's time now. This is dad's time. Like, that that's a really interesting way to do things.
2: Yeah, I mean, our kids are just, that's all they've ever known, Um, being co-parented by us. So... We, it, I just think they, they are, I don't know, they're very lucky in one sense because they get to have time with uh, Jim, my husband, when I'm writing. And that's been kind of a bit of an unexpected gift in it um, because they have got a really lovely relationship with him because they have half their time, you know, with daddy. And at 5.30, so he finishes, Jim finishes work at half five, um and then we all have dinner together and the and then we both you know the four of us hang out and do stories and bedtime all together so they get a good chunk of the day with us all um but it's really nice having like your own little slice with them doing your own thing and I feel I'm a I really noticed like I'm definitely a better I feel that a lot of people have it so much harder with when they full-time parent because I feel like I'm on better form as a as a mother, when I've had like that time to myself in the morning to do my own thing and to write, and you kind of come fresh at 12.30, like, cool, I'm ready to be involved and get stuck in with them. Um, whereas like sometimes by the end of a weekend, I'm noticing I'm really ratty, just like, oh, I'm ready for my own space again. So yeah, so it works for us, um, the co-parenting thing. And everybody's different, aren't they? But I think it's a, been something that's been like I say, for for Jim and I, quite a gift. I find there's a really beautiful unbroken connectivity between thought and page when I write by hand. So I am really particular about my stationery that I use. Um, I always have an A5 journal. Um, it, It is blank, I don't write in lined pages. I like the pages to be good quality stock, preferably cream. And I use a, um, I use a mechanical pencil, not a pen. Um, and it, I like it to be a 0.5 millimeter lead, just in case anyone's interested. <laughs> so there is some really specific stuff going on with my stationery. Um, funnily enough, with everything else... I have very little specification. Like I just work on a really basic laptop in Word. I don't have any fancy programs. Um, but I think it's to do with the aesthetics with, with me and the journal because I just like, yeah, I've always been one of those people when I was at school and you start, you you finish one workbook or exercise book and you begin the next one. And I really would like that first page to be neat and like the titles yeah. that were underlined and I'd have my like, biro with four colors in so I could get it just right
1: were you the pencil case girl
2: oh absolutely I'm yeah. so <laughs> pencil case girl um I've got a really nice pencil case now so yeah so aesthetics with journals when it comes to computers because I don't have any passion for technology it's something that does not hold any piece of my heart um, I can just yeah any old laptop will do word fine done um <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> well let me put you in a in a terrible situation then You've uh, you, you've cycled down to the, the beach house. Oh my god! I know
2: what's coming. I'm getting my hearts racing just thinking about this. Carry on.
1: And uh, and uh, and you pull out your notebook, and it's not the notebook you want. You've not got the right mechanical pen. You've only got a pen. You've <laughs> a terrible biro. And you you know how how will that unsettle? I know it's, this is a preposterous question, by the way. But, like what will that do to your day? If you can if you can describe that terror as best you can.
2: I think that is the ultimate trigger for writer's block right there. I mean, I don't know how I'd get to write another page. Um, So if I didn't have the right, if I didn't have the right pen oh. (laughs) do you know, the funny thing is, and I love this about people in general, is that we're all massive contradictions, because although I love my pencil and my journal I also write on absolutely anything I write on receipts I write this is might seem sacrilegious but I write on other people's novels when I'm reading them and I suddenly think of an idea for my own I'll just write yeah I'll just write in them in the you know right back wherever there's a big blank page um at the beginning I'll write over them I will write on you know oh just absolutely whatever's to hand the kids drawings like it doesn't it doesn't matter I've got no shame um so I do like to have my lovely journal but when an idea comes I'm quite prepared to put that down on whatever vessel is near me what I don't tend to do is put it on my phone I like to handwrite it so uh, you know phone is desperate desperate times for me but hopefully there'll normally be some sort of pen and something to write on to hand
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
1: We'll get back to it with Lucy Clark chatting about her brand new book, The Castaways, in just a sec. Uh, very quickly, A massive thanks to Faber Academy, who are supporting this week's episode of the show. They'll be sponsoring Writer's Routine throughout March. If you want to save 10% on any online course or the fantastic manuscript assessment that they offer, uh, use Writer's Routine 21. Use that code 10% off over at faberacademy.co.uk. Now, whilst you're online, if you're feeling in quite a benevolent mood, uh, and I know it's been a tough year, so don't worry too much about this, But if you do want to help out the show, if you want to see us carry on bringing you episodes with the greatest authors around as frequently as you can, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash writers routine for just a dollar or so a month. It really goes a long way. You can really help the show out. For that, you get our eternal thanks. Uh, You also get uh, some merch, just small tokens to show you're part of the writing community that we've got going on here. It's our way of saying thanks for you saying thanks. There is also a way for you to sponsor the show, for your book uh, to be what we're plugging at the start. This week, it's Faber Academy in April, right the way through, could be yours. Just help us out, pledge whatever you can, a a little goes an enormously long way, I promise you that. It's patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. Routine. Let's get back to it with uh, Lucy Clark talking about writing her brand new novel, *The Castaways*. In this half, we talk a little bit more about the book, how the idea came to her, how she developed that with thorough research—a uh, quite glorious research that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of envious about. I'm not, not just envious. I mean, like really fumingly jealous about. By the way, um, you can hear about that also. Uh, how, for the first time ever, something Lucy never thought could happen did happen the characters started to take over. She describes that to us in a bit and we pick things up with her writing routine of the year because she's just published her sixth novel now. So how does she plan uh, the full 12 months to get everything out on time?
2: Well I've had a really interesting experience in the last well the last two or three years with my writing. So how do you ask me the question of my what my process might be in a typical year? I would normally answer, and this is what it's been for the first five, for the first six books. So The Castaways, which is just coming out, it's my sixth novel, like you say. And for those books, I've always had the same process, which is evolving, but ultimately it's the same, in which I might think of an idea. um, I would normally have a few ideas, maybe two or three, or sometimes maybe up to six. And I would take those to my editor and discuss them and we would sort of look at them together and then once we have sort of settled on an idea I would then spend I don't know a few weeks um, just planning it so I'd be writing down a few key scenes that I might want to happen, I would be building backstories for my characters, I'd be doing all the setting, planning and research and of course in book like The Blue, the one set on a yacht that involved going to the Philippines. I did a course here learning to sail. It was quite a research heavy book in in the loveliest of ways. Um, So there was a lot of background work. And then probably after a couple of months, I would then start the writing. And I would begin writing from a loose plan. I might have um, an out, what I would call a plot outline, which would be noted in just a word document and it would have maybe three bullet points for each chapter of things that I might try loosely and cover and I found it was quite a nice guide and a marker to help me when I was feeling like I've no idea how to write a book Um, it would be like okay well I know I've got to write those three things in this chapter that's achievable and doable and that's how I would begin and I would write a really loose scrappy first draft that would maybe be 50,000 words And then I would go back and do the next draft and I might end up doing 10 drafts, just layering each one until I get to kind of a full length draft, which might be more like 90,000 to 100,000 words. And that would be my process. And it would take anything from from start to coming up with the idea through to finishing between a year and a year and a half. Um, And that's the way I have always sort of worked. And with the castaways, it actually took me two years to write. It was it was a immensely tricky book um, to write because I have a split timeline and there's lots of things that have to be revealed and in certain ways. And I just got completely lost in the first six months of writing it. I went down in a, in a direction that was the incorrect direction. But you only know when you get to the end and you go, oh, damn, this just does not work at all. And then you know you just delete like fifty thousand words and spend a week just wanting to cry or actually crying um and then you know you muscle on and carry on so that was the process for the castaways and my previous books um but we then hit lockdown one <laughs> one point zero back in last March, and I had a really different writing experience, so I had just handed in a draft of the castaways it's probably. God, I don't know. It's like the probably the third draft my editors had seen. And it, as I say, it was probably the hardest book I had had to write. I mean, so when my book goes off to the ed- my editors, um, I then normally have maybe sort of four weeks or so while I'm waiting to hear back from them on their thoughts. And in that time, I'd already had an idea for a book that I wanted to write for what will be my seventh novel. And I just... I don't know what it was so in lockdown um I came off social media because I tend to do that a couple of times a year I take a month off just because it quietens like headspace it's just nice to have a a break um and I just thought do you know what I'm just going to try something really different and I had the concept for my seventh book which um it doesn't have a title at the moment, but effectively it's about a group of six women um, who are on a hen weekend in Greece. They have this beautiful remote clifftop villa on a on a small Greek island and we are sort of led to believe that one of the hens will be found dead at the bottom of the uh, clifftop at the end of the hen weekend and we kind of know from the beginning and it's sort of feeling of, well, who, why, how, those questions. So that was my sort of hook um, right when I, when I had the idea. That was it, the, you know, the, the full extent of the story. And I just started to see a couple of the characters of who those hens would be. And over sort of 48 hours, I just sketched out really briefly who each of those six women would be um how long the sort of hen weekend would last for and the place that it would take take you know the actual setting with the island and then I began writing which I just would never normally do normally I'd like plot it out and I'd know what's going to happen I'd know who's going to die and who did it and why and instead I just spent three weeks in my kind of morning six hours um writing and I turned around a draft in in yeah three weeks and two days and it was a, it was 71,000 words, which for me is, um, I would kind of typically describe myself as quite a slow writer. And it was really strange and such a different experience and such an exciting writing experience. The, the story did this thing that I never believed happened when other writers talk about it. I'm like, come on, no one does that. Where the characters just like directed the plot. They, I, I kind of wrote as the characters and um, it's multi- viewpointed so I write as each of these six women and yeah and the story just unfolded in this really fun exciting way and having had that experience so I got to the end and I then called up my editor and said you know I've just written like a draft and you know we chatted about it and she was really excited about it and um and since then I have then tried I thought well look this is a really time-saving method of writing because I'm like normally quite. I feel like I'm constantly on the back foot with my writing. Editors typically want you to produce a book a year, and I would say my average is more like eighteen months. And the Castaways, as I said, two years. So to kind of have done a draft so quickly felt like, oh my goodness, this could be unlocking the key to like meeting my deadlines. So I've just tried the process again with an idea for what will be my eighth book, and I know we're here talking about book six, the Castaways. But you're normally as an author like sort of publicising one book, working on another, thinking about the one you're doing next. So you've always got sort of two or three books juggling in your brain. So I've just tried this process again, wondering if it was a fluke with the sort of hen party novel. Um, And I've had a really similar experience to being able to kind of do a draft in three weeks um, without any kind of research and planning. And of course, it's just really rough and bare and I wouldn't give that draft to anyone. And it's not, I'm not saying in any way that it's quality you know it's just rough bones but it feels like I don't know I love that the writing process has evolved so completely for me where I thought I was one type of writer where I like to plan in advance and then write and now I'm discovering that I can do it in an entirely different way and and it feels really exciting I feel like I'm having an affair with my writing all over again so I'm not sure what type of writer I am, and I'm not sure how my next book will pan out, but I love this sort of new experiment and how it's feeling.
1: So what was it like, uh, as as well, between the 6th and the 7th, and and then these mysterious 7th and 8th you've got going on, what was it like having to come back to the edits of uh, book 6, The Castaways, when you'd got down an entire first draft of a separate novel in in three weeks, how was that process of reattaching yourself to something you spent so much work on uh, that you kind of left behind for a few weeks?
2: It's a really hard thing, actually, because you are immersed in one world and then you have to kind of pop yourself back in another. And I do a thing where I like physically clear my desk. So at the moment, I'm working on a draft of... The Hen Weekend, which will be not called that. So I've got all the kind of Greek, um, you know, the the herbs on my desk and everything to kind of bring that flavor. But when I'm working on something else, then th- that will be cleared off the desk. And so I'll try and kind of physically create a space that brings whatever book I'm working to to mind. And I also work with, um, I write to music uh, a lot. So I have Spotify playlists for each of my books. So I will play only that music during the writing of, you know, a certain book. And that helps me step back into that mindset. And I think one of the nice things I find is when you have had a break from one story um, and you return to another one, even though the drafting and editing can be quite challenging, it does also feel nice because you're coming fresh to it again. And I think you've been working on it for a long time you need that space so it's a good thing for my writing to have a break from it and then return to it so now dan you may not be picking holes in the uh, quality but let me tell you there are many (laughs) many readers out there that will be um so you have to get it right there's no question you've got to do your best to get it right but i think um what i tend to do particularly with writing book set on a yacht, which is a world I knew nothing about. I wanted to give myself a bit of a get out, a jail card. Um, So it's written from the perspective of one of the characters who's a non-sailor. So she boards this yacht and has never sailed in her life before. So we're seeing it fresh through her eyes, which means I don't need to get too technical, um, which is good because I don't want to sort of ostracise readers who've never stepped foot on a boat before. Um, So to have done a sailing course was completely, for me, integral to the writing of it because the novel takes place, the almost the entirety of it is on board a sort of 50-foot yacht. Um, and had I not understood some of the fundamentals of how the wind works and, you know, how to kind of list sails and all of those things, then I don't think i have been able to have written it with any authenticity. So that was definitely quite a research-heavy novel. But I would say the rest of my novels don't tend to have... Too, you know they don't tend to involve me learning an entire new skill set um which is quite lucky because of course the research part whilst wildly fun and interesting does not there's no budget for researching by the way in case anyone's wondering i do have publishers pay for these trips um they absolutely don't i'm afraid so you have to kind of fund it yourself anything that you're learning or researching um and hope that that will be sort of paid back through royalties or advances or whatever um so yes for the castaways which is set in Fiji um, or is set on an island in the South Pacific where a plane goes down and there's no trace of the plane um, it we just it just disappears off radar and everybody's after a huge three-week search um, involving various different agencies everybody is presumed dead and um, and the research for that involves speaking to people in the sort of aviation industry. Um, and I had been to Fiji in the past. So I had my sort of travel, my like photos and whatnot. Actually, I say I've been to Fiji in the past, which I have, but it was the one trip of my sort of adult life I've done where I didn't take or write a travel journal because it was actually my honeymoon and so I was like, right, I will not write on my honeymoon. I'd say to Jim, you can't windsurf on your, our honeymoon, and I won't write. We're like gonna hang out and do, you know, be be honeymoonish and, and not do our other stuff. So it's the one, it's the one trip I don't have any notes on. And of course, when I came to write the Castaways, I really was just like, ah, I can't remember anything. Um, so that was a bit harder. So I had to go back to my photos to to sort of um, you know stir the the memories there. But I think typically the research isn't too yeah isn't too heavy in my books
1: before we get to the idea for the, the story how are you researching like a plane crashes and the specific experience of a plane crash
2: just by good old google um and looking into accounts of people watching videos which isn't very nice of um plane crashes yeah just by doing that and i have um one of my good friends have her stepbrother um, was worked in air, airport air traffic control and so I got lots of insider information on how crashes happen and who does what and that side of things. So that was part of it um, as well. but I and then from there I was talking about you know Island Life these this isn't a plot um, spoiler because by the title alone the castaways, the, the readers will kind of have a good clue that there were survivors um so I then had to sort of you know look into the survival elements of what happens of somebody who is stranded on an island and how yeah the sort of things that they need to eat and drink and the priorities in a survival situation so again that was interesting to research and and just again Google um is definitely your friend in those kind of elements and reading other books and yeah, talking to, talking to people who have kind of knowledge in those areas as well. So I always enjoy the research stage. It's really, yeah, it's really
1: fun. Uh, just take us into the mindset of writing the castaways. Um, if you can remember, can you give us an example of what type of music was on the Spotify playlist for this one? Just just to help us out.
2: Yeah. Um, so on my, on my book six Spotify playlist, I was listening to lots of um, Bonobo and a French artist called Petit Biscuit. Um, and it's quite, I tend to listen to um, people who, or artists without lyrics often, just because it's annoying when you get like words stuck in your head. So yeah, so lots of um, music like that was was good for me, and Bicep I listened to as well. Um, so quite, ele- sort of, not necessarily what I would always listen to, quite uplifting electronic um. In- sort of soundscapes for for the castaways um and funnily enough i've just found a playlist uh, and it's just quite simply called greek taverna music and the novel that i'm working on at the moment is set in greece and just it, when i have a kind of taverna scene i literally pop that playlist on um, i haven't written the whole book to it because it would drive me crazy but it's just quite fun like completely different vibe to to writing the castaways playlist
1: uh you, so at the end of the year you know how spotify do the um this has been your year you know we're gonna, we're gonna take all of your data and we're gonna try and sell you loads based on i would love to know what the heads at spotify <laughs> doing well, what what's she doing now
2: i know it's <laughs> quite eclectic that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> uh
1: listen so just talk to us about the, the very first moment that the idea for the castaways came into your head how did how did that spark present itself
2: Sometimes with my books, I have a really clear spark and it's like, yes, here we go. This is it. Um, and other times it's just more of a sort of, I don't know, like a gentle musing. And The Castaways was not a light bulb moment for me. It was a product of um, several years ago hearing the news about the Malaysian airline flight that disappeared um, carrying so many passengers. And it was, I don't tend to listen to the news very much. We don't really follow, well, you know, follow the news in the way that is kind of necessary, but also try and keep a bit of a distance from it. Um, But it was one of those stories that I would always find myself turning up on the radio when it came on because it just seemed to me absolutely shocking in our sort of digital age that an entire plane could go missing um, with all these hundreds of people on and there'd be no trace and no radar and no black box recording and all of those things that you might expect. And I think it just stuck in my mind. And at the point when the news, when the news was breaking, I wasn't thinking for one moment I'd write about that, but it obviously logged somewhere in my brain because then when I had sat down to, to literally think, right, what am I going to write about for my sixth novel? I had about four or five ideas one of which um, I had already written maybe thirty, forty thousand 40,000 words of. And then I went for a meeting, which I normally do when I, have, when I sort of start a new book. I went to have a meeting with my editors. And we sat down and I sort of, you know, chatted to it. It's really relaxed because I've worked with them for years and they're they're friends as much as editors. And I was just sort of chatting through the different ideas that I had. And I, you know, was really trying to sell this, Idea that I'd already written thirty thousand words of, like, yeah, you know, this is the one. It was set in Sri Lanka, and I'd just done a big trip there, and I was all guns blazing for it. But I knew before I even like shared these few ideas I had, I knew they were going to go for the for the plane plane crash um, because there was just something about it, and I felt it as I thought about the idea that in in the castaways, the story is it's not really about a plane crash at all. That's just the the sort of setup. Um, But the story is about two sisters and they are due to, they're two British sisters um, and they're due to get a flight to Fiji. They're different kind of crisis points in their life and this trip is something that they both need. And they get to, they've flown out to Fiji and then they take an inter-island plane to get to one of the kind of remote islands for what's meant to be like kind of a really nice grounding holiday for them both. But there's an argument at the at the sort of um, hotel where they have a stopover the night before. And one of the sisters doesn't get on board the plane. And of course the other one does, and the plane then disappears. So immediately we've got this huge emotional tension from a sister that didn't step on the plane as to, I deserted her, the guilt, the things that they said in their final argument. Um, And she's a journalist, Um, the sister, Erin, she's called, she's a journalist working in London. And after two years of absolutely no information about where this plane disappeared to, no trace, um, no black box recording, all of these things, you know, she's living a kind of half-life. And then the news breaks that the pilot of this plane, a Fijian, um, well, his Australian book was living in Fuji, is found... Alive in Fiji, he's brought into hospital and he's been living under an alias perfectly fine for the last two years, ever since the fight went down. So, of course, the world's media absolutely erupts thinking, you know, what the hell? Like, he's been alive. Where's the plane? Where's everybody else? What happened to them? And the sister Erin, the journalist, knows that she needs to find out, she needs to speak to him, she wants to uncover... The truth of what's happened. So she flies out to Fiji to interview um, the pilot who's struggling with, he's in hospital because he has a brain tumour. Um, and so it's her uncovering of the truth of what happened in the disappearance. And it cuts back and forth between two timelines of one sister investigating and the other sister as she gets on board this plane, as the plane crashes, what happens to her and the people she's on board with. So so it kind of covers two time frames. So yeah, so that's sort of the story. So it it began with, I suppose, just a gentle thought of, oh, I'm intrigued about a plane going down and how it can disappear. But it turned into something that resonates more with me, which is the kind of emotional element of thrillers. I'm not kind of a, I'm not, I'm called a psychological thriller writer by genre, but I'm not a kind of cold, hard, Murder investigation bodies. I'm really emotional elements of it. Like, how did that sister feel, and what what reaction does that have, and how does it affect her life, and how does she change, and what do they unpick? And that mystery, I think for me, that's where tension really lies. Is the tension between people rather than a crime?
1: And that is it for this week's writers routine thank you so much to lucy clark for coming on the show you can get a copy of her new novel the castaways using the link in the episode notes and over at writersroutine.com uh, while you're online uh if you fancy pledging just a small amount every month to help with this show patreon.com forward slash writers routine is the place to do that and if you want some industry level tuition uh for your story for your writing If you want some proper expertise, just helping you out, uh, combing through it, maybe sanding off the edges before you send it off to be published, Uh, you can save 10% on any online course or manuscript assessment uh, over at faberacademy.co.uk. They are sponsoring us through March. It's Writer's Routine 21 for that. Now, next week, we're chatting to uh, Sarah Leipziger all about her new novel coming up for air. It's about a young woman who plunges into the River Seine in Paris in 1899 and how that has a huge impact on the future uh, all across the world. Uh, It's a true story that Sarah has uh, dramatised fantastically. She'll be on next week to tell us all about it with another writer's routine. I will see you then. (laughs)